Welcome back to The Earliest. For any new listeners, welcome. We're glad you're here. Make sure you've already listened to episode one, From Womb to World, to get the most out of this series. Last week, Elizabeth told her story of giving birth to her first baby. She gave us a front row seat to what went wrong and why. Pregnancy is full of both mental and emotional challenges. Those challenges can reveal gaps and how we manage and treat our mental health. So this week, we're going to take a step back in time. When it comes to infant and early childhood mental health, pregnancy is just as important as what comes after. This is The Earliest, a Zero to Three podcast. I'm your host, Ernestine Benedict. Zero to Three is the nation's leading nonprofit, ensuring all babies and toddlers have a strong start in life. Join me as we explore mental health and well-being in the earliest years of life, the years that matter most. This season, we focus on infant and early childhood mental health. We established last week that a mother and child's mental health are deeply linked. But how far back does that connection go? Here's Jen, Zero to Three's Director of IECMH Coordination and Strategy. So starting to think about the importance of mental health and mental health care and well-being for a baby begins at the same time that you start thinking about the overall well-being of the child and you start with that in utero. It's a sort of this magical window that happens during pregnancy. It's not only a medical experience, it's a psychological experience, it's an emotional experience. And the opportunity to support mothers more deeply is ripe at that time. The ins and outs of providing for a physically healthy baby are something most expectant parents have a handle on. Take your vitamins, no heavy lifting, don't drink alcohol, and go easy on the sushi. But as for giving your child a solid foundation for their mental health, that advice is a bit harder to come by. There's not necessarily regular OBGYN care, attention to the mother's mental health, not only for the mother, but for the mother and the baby. That rang true for Elizabeth. My mental health was addressed in what I feel like was initially a very brief casting a wide net sort of way. When I went into care, I was asked what I believe a lot of people are. Are you somewhere safe? Have you had a previous history of domestic violence or sexual assault? Questions like that. Infant and early childhood mental health was not mentioned to me at the time. And when I think back to even what I was learning in my graduate program on maternal child health, there was not much of a focus on infant and early childhood mental health. To Jen, that's a disservice to mothers-to-be. It's a time when mothers are often extremely vulnerable because of that vulnerability. It's also a time where professionals who are working with them to support them to explore their experiences, their own experiences of being parented, their own experiences of what parenting means, to ask those questions How is she feeling? What is she thinking about? What is she wondering about, about her child? Just as important as the questions you ask, the way you ask them. Kathy, the director of IECMH Strategy at Zero to Three, explains. I believe in learning at the feet of parents. So it's it's being there to hear what 
what they understand and then kind of build on that scaffold of what already is there and explore with them, not always having the answers for them, but allowing them to kind of wonder and explore and to think back about what are they bringing from their own childhood and being parented to this new relationship. And what are some things that they really want to bring? And what are some things that they'd rather not bring into this relationship? There's so much there that can help. There's such an opportunity there that can help mothers really get in tune with their own emotional state as they are preparing for the birth of their child. And that doesn't happen often. But it's not enough to just have those opportunities. Healthcare professionals need to know how to use them. I remember at one point my doctor doing an exam toward the end of pregnancy to see if I was dilating at all. And I remember inching away from him <laughs> with the power in my legs and core that I probably don't have at the moment until I was almost like levitating off the table. And I remember him looking at me like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know why, but this feels very uncomfortable for me right now. That discomfort was a precursor to Elizabeth's traumatic birth experience, a hint of what was to come. It could have been a moment for her doctor or nurse to check in, to ask the simple question, what was that? And, you know, looking back, that's something maybe I should have thought, like, you know, you haven't reacted like that before. You've had well women visits before where that kind of exam hasn't been an issue. Maybe you should explore this, you know, Possibly it's something that maybe he or the nurse could have flagged as like, this seems like unusual behavior for her. Knowing that she has said she has a history of sexual assault, I wonder if we could look into this. This type of care can do more than ease the birthing experience. It can also directly impact the child's early development. We think about the birthing parent who is prepared for the pregnancy or not prepared for the pregnancy? What is her experience of accepting that pregnancy and dealing with the many physical changes? We think about some of the stressors in, in mom's life. Those stress hormones in the mother's body can cross the placenta and impact some of the stress systems in the baby's body even before birth. Pregnancy is a time where mother and child are as physically connected as they will ever be. A time when nutrients and hormones flow between the two. But mothers have lived entire lives before that moment. Lives that can inform not only their experience of their pregnancies, but their experiences of parenting too. Every expectant mother has their own, you know, their own biology, their own medical history, their own backgrounds, their own personal experiences. What is she afraid of? What in her own past, what does she remember about being parented? Our lived experiences inform the type of parent we'll be. What fond childhood memories do we have? What not so fond ones? What are our cultural connections and generational histories? A reminder that Elizabeth's story touches on sensitive topics. My ancestors are on some sides of my family, long-term farmers in Minnesota. And then my dad's family is from the White Earth. 
nation in West Central Minnesota, so I'm a first-generation descendant of White Earth, we know the struggles of rural living, and we know the struggles of being lifted from one place to another. I spent most of my early childhood living in, in different places. My dad was in the Navy, and that was something that I really loved. Elizabeth loved the excitement of new places and new things, but that flux came with one consistency. I grew up in a home where I regularly witnessed domestic violence, where both my parents struggle with alcohol issues, where mental illness is both rampant and not spoken about. I don't think I'm unique in that way. You know, we don't talk about these things. They're just there. But it also instilled in me some coping mechanisms and some behaviors that even now as an adult, I'm, I'm parsing through to see, you know, is this particular characteristic who I am or is it who I've become as an adaptation to, you know, the environment I grew up in? As a result of that, I found myself in a couple of situations <laughs> with certain models for relationships that I, I grew up with. You accept certain things that as an outsider or as an adult looking back now, I think, oh, you know, that's a red flag. You don't have to tolerate that. As you know from our first episode, Elizabeth is a survivor of sexual assault. She's also a survivor of cancer. I also went through cancer treatment when I was a teenager, which in included some radiation of my chest. And they had told me, you know, this may affect your ability to breastfeed. But at 14, that's not necessarily something that you're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll keep that in mind. Elizabeth was able to move through these things with the help of therapy. She was on antidepressants to help curb her depression and anxiety, something she'd struggled with since childhood. By the time she was college age, her trauma was, in her words, something that I had kind of figured was like locked up. She'd moved on. She was on to the next stage in life. I met my husband when I was in college and we got married about a year after I finished undergrad. I started feeling a little off toward the end of August and was like, could I... Be Maybe I could be pregnant. So we went to Target, and I was so excited that I took the test in the Target bathroom and came out just, you know, ecstatic. It wasn't planned, but we were just so excited about it. I actually went and bought a couple of baby outfits. We were just, it's so cliche, but like over the moon, we were so excited. We both love kids and, you know, knew we wanted to have as many as we could handle, which I've learned for me is two. <laughs> Chris and I had all these plans. We were going to decorate her nursery with the theme of when doves cry because we both really love prints. So we would like go to thrift stores looking for ceramic animals in curious poses <laughs> so we could decorate with that. Like we were just so excited to have like a fun family and, and do fun things together. As Jen said, Elizabeth had her own biology, medical history, and personal experiences long before she got pregnant. But how did all of that inform her own pregnancy? I had a really easy pregnancy. When we first felt her kick, I was so excited. But there was always part of me that just felt a little detached from, like, what was happening. Looking back, I can connect these. But at the time, I was like, eh, it's new. I'm young. Pregnancy's weird. But I 
felt fairly competent with regard to baby care. I mean, I uh, 100% went in with almost like a cockiness, the certainty of like, I know what's going on and I know what can happen. And I have these social support systems. I have my sisters and I had a lot of emotional discomfort during pregnancy because of all of the changes I was going through. But I was like, no, we're going to be great parents. And this is going to be, this is going to be pretty easy for me. It's something I've always wanted. It's something I've thought about for a really long time. Elizabeth was more than ready to take on parenting, but she also wanted to ensure her pregnancy was as safe as possible for her baby, even if at a detriment to herself. After taking in some information, I decided to wean off my antidepressants and and try to navigate my pregnancy in a way where I was not maybe, you know, taking in certain substances if I wasn't 100% sure that they were safe for the baby. Any experience of depression, stress, or anxiety isn't only a psychological phenomenon, but a biological one. For the fetus, the mother's biology is their home. It's their environment. Elizabeth knows that well. Elizabeth is a doula and early childhood expert. She works as a dissemination specialist for the Programmatic Assistance for Tribal Home Visiting Program at Zero to Three. She's uniquely positioned to talk about her experience through both a personal and expert lens. A stress and trauma in pregnancy and in childbirth, that does have an effect on the development of the child's brain. So we know, for example, when an infant is born to a mother who has a huge and regular increase in cortisol and other stress hormones, that that affects that infant's brain chemistry. They also then come into this world with an increase of cortisol. We see that it affects the formation of their amygdala and other brain structures. We see differences in attention and focus in those children from three to five than children who are born to mothers who didn't have that kind of experience or that trauma coming in. Unfortunately, we see in this research that a lot of uh, the studies are looking at, you know, mothers who have had previous trauma or a history of trauma or present depression and anxiety, not necessarily events specifically tied to that certain birth, that moment. You know, again, that is something that is still being looked into. How much of an effect does this point in time have on the development? But we do know that, you know, pregnant people coming in with a history of trauma with depression, anxiety, other mood disorders have children that show differences in their brain structure and chemistry at one year, at 18 months, at three, at five years. Regardless of background, there are myriad ways parents can engage with their babies in the womb and begin forming those early connections. They are beginning to hear pretty early on. He, In fact, hearing is one of the, the first kind of things that, that comes on. Parents who sing to their babies... even though it sounds, you know, corny, they are kind of taking this in. They're not processing it in a cognitive way. They don't have that much kind of gray matter yet, but they're really kind of experiencing some of these things on a sensory level. They're getting used to voices. A baby can learn any language when they're born, 
but they can come in kind of rooted toward their parents' language and speech patterns and voice. So it's, it's really fascinating. Babies also, even though their eyes are often closed, they're not always closed. And I have done this is like, if you put a flashlight on your belly when you're pregnant, the baby will oftentimes like kind of like try to get away from that. There's a lot that's happening. They're really coming online early. Everyone involved in this process is human. And often, a conversation is a surefire way to make a positive impact on the mental health of a mother and the child. I'm not sure that there's anything that really would have made that kind of difference, except for somebody sitting down and probing very carefully and consistently and thoroughly. Right? Like, I just, I'm sorry, I'm putting my <laughs> my needs first right now. I think I felt I felt a little let down by my support team, even though I knew that with the information that everybody had and the expectations we all had going in, that it was, I don't want to say unreasonable, but I, I do believe that my my support team, you know, my husband, my doctor, um, the nurses I had on staff, I genuinely believe everybody did 100%. Next week on The Earliest, we'll hear about the days and weeks after birth. What do they look like, feel like? How do you take the best care of your baby when you need critical care? What was your experience as a child of being parented? What do you imagine you will bring into that role as you become a parent? And what do you imagine you will leave behind? Elizabeth had some really strong ideas about that. But I think that it was something she kind of had to come to herself in recognizing that she wanted to be a parent that was different than the way that she was parented, that she wanted to really be present for her children and a source of security and comfort and not involve the dangers that she had lived through. That's next time on The Earliest. Find out more about Zero to Three at our website, zero2three.org. While there, check out our upcoming trainings and conferences. And if you love the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to The Earliest on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wow. Hey, listeners, before you go, I just want to let you know that we are blown away by all the love and great feedback you've given about the show, episode to episode. If you love what you're hearing and what we're doing to ensure all babies have a strong start in life, we'd love your help to do more. Make a donation to Zero to Three. The amount doesn't matter. Every dollar makes a difference. And your support means the world to us. Your donation will help get more babies access to quality care, services, and supports that they need to thrive. You can give today at zero2three.org. Thanks for listening to The Earliest. I'm Ernestine Benedict. The Earliest is produced by Zero to Three 
in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Stephanie Chow, Madeline Daniels Benderev, and Ricky Webster from Zero to Three. And the team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Hannah Patterson, Rebecca Shawson, Shanice Tindall, and Carter Wogan. <laughs>